and thanks for joining us again at Sex and Life, a podcast talks about sex and how uh, it interacts with our daily lives on a personal level and, and uh, a larger scale. Today, we have uh, Matt G with us. Hello, Matt. Hey. And uh, we're going to talk to Matt about uh, the subculture of furries. I'm here too. Oh, as always, our producer is here as well. Uh, he's so quiet, it's easy to forget him. I do okay. Yeah. All right. No, that's fair. Um, so, Matt, what is a furry? I guess from a more scientific standpoint, just it's an anthropomorphic animal, a pretty much any kind of animal made humanoid, upright, two arms, two legs, etc. Depending on who's drawing it, you know, two breasts or possibly six. I love the six-breasted women. Mm-hmm. Yeah, wasn't it in, I think, Total Recall, there's a three-breasted one? Three-breasted woman, yep. In the original Total Recall. I haven't seen the remake. I, I didn't hear good things. <laughs> I don't think anybody did. So I kind of just started looking a bit into the furry culture after I, like many people on the internet, realized that they're kind of the punching bag when it comes to forms, internet conversations, etc. Like there's actually a large amount of things out there dedicated to pure the, you know, purge the unclean, the, uh, Warhammer 40k art redone for shooting furries and all that stuff. I, I've been friends with a few furries. I even dated one uh, for a short period of time. And it's it's mainly turned into a uh, kind of a, a curiosity as to why this culture is bashed on so much on the internet, in real life, like as a general fetish choice, whereas things that you would think would be wholly unacceptable seem to get this mysterious free pass. Why do you think that the furry community catches so much flack? Well, I think the biggest part of it is furries are kind of in two categories. There's furries, which are the anthropomorphic animals and all that stuff. And then there's specifically Yiffy, which is anthropomorphic animals getting on. Yeah. So a lot of people think furries are cool. Like, I play Guild Wars 2. I've got a Char character. He's pretty badass. So you can like anthropomorphic... Char are humanoid cats, for those of you wondering. With horns. With horns. <laughs> uh, but, like... You can like that kind of stuff, but not necessarily want to see them getting it on. I don't necessarily fantasize about my char character having sex with other chars or anything like that. So there are lots of people who just like the furries. They think the furries are cool, but they aren't into Yiffy. But unfortunately, they just get all slammed together, and that leads to a lot of, oh, you think this anthropomorphic animal is cool, you're wearing a cattail to an anime convention, therefore you like animals having sex. Like They like to slippery slope it. So basically... uh uh, what you're saying is, like every other minority, you just want to fuck a white chick as opposed to another cat. Um, <laughs> yeah, see? That's what it's about. Um. <laughs> You've been sitting on that question for a long time. Oh, You've wanted to ask so many people. <laughs> <laughs> so you're a white chick, so clearly. <laughs> clearly. Um, what do you think is the attraction to being a furry? Fundamentally, we all evolved from animals. We are, technically speaking, on a base element animals. And yes, you know, it was 10 million years ago when we were apes or whatever the evolutionary theory is. I probably should have checked that number. <laughs> it's, it's an unimaginable number of years ago, we were technically animals. And while, you know, in the span of a human lifetime, that is longer than we can fathom, in the span of the universe, that's a blink. Yeah. So, like, the idea... We get angry and, you know, part of us actually does want to, you know, attack people, bite them, claw. Like, there is still a primal nature to us. And in many ways, furries are kind of 
just embracing that animalistic nature and going back to something a bit more simpler where we can be driven by urges. And I think a large amount of flack that comes with the furry community is because of the slippery slope syndrome. Let's take uh, BDSM, bondage, domination, sadism, masochism. Lots of people like that, but from a technical standpoint, it's one step away from torture. First thing I ever heard of floggers was in a history textbook as a punishment for British soldiers who basically didn't follow orders. They'd be strapped to a post and they would be flogged. Mm -hmm. Now floggers are associated with this particular sexual fetish and they are used in a particular different way for pleasure. Same thing with whips, tying people up and letting them hang, like all these things associated with bondage pretty much came from torture. It came from actual human torture. And yes, there are different ways to do it. And the bondage community is something you really got to be careful about making angry. Uh, but uh, Eli himself is he'll, somewhat he'll of an tie you up. expert. <laughs> Anyways. He's wanted to tie me up. <laughs> yeah, I'm not looking at you the same way anymore. Uh, but you look at furries, and it is technically you have a slippery slope to bestiality or just getting turned on by watching other species have sex. You can easily turn the here's the humanoid animals, which... I think at the core of the furry culture and by extension the yiffy culture, because, you know, they do share a lot of common elements, you know, they're meant to represent our inner animals or who we are or who, like, who we would be if we just tore off the facades of a human, et cetera, et cetera. But you can take that and in a couple of degrees, you now have either human beings having sex with animals or you have animals having sex with each other and the human beings getting turned on by it. And I think you can take any fetish in the world and slippery slope it to that. One of the reasons why I think a lot of people like hentai is because you can do things in it that you can't do in real life and get away with it. Oh, this is rape hentai. Well, she's not a real girl. She was made by animators. You know, she's being voiced by a voice actress. She couldn't anymore not exist if you tried. You take that one step further, you got realistic-looking rape 3D hentai, and okay, it looks realistic, but it's still a voice actor, it's still whatever. You take it one step further, and you now have acting out rape, you know, porno, where they're pretending they're being raped, that starts making people feel uncomfortable because you're getting dangerously close to actual territory. And then take one step further to actual rape, and if you're a sensible human being, just... No. You've taken it one step too far. Exactly. But again, every fetish suffers from the slippery slope, and it's just, it's easiest to do with furries and yiffies. Well, okay, more specifically yiffy, because again, there's some furries out there who just, you know, do that for fun. But, you know, specifically yiffy, it's very easy to slippery slope it into human beings having sex with animals because that's quantifiable. Whereas the bondage example, you know, we don't really torture people like that anymore. If anyone torture does exist, we're usually doing the waterboarding and all this stuff. And it's usually done by America. And the, you know, hentai example, it takes a couple of steps to get there. So, in theory, I don't know. I like my self-control. Yeah. Um, what are some of the, the, the better uh, animals for freeze? Like, is there one that's more popular? Is there one that's uh, easier to to conceive because uh, the material is being ready? Uh, I cannot speak in terms of making a fursuit. I haven't even bothered thinking about how to do that. In terms of art online, I'd say that the most popular ones would probably stem from house pet type things. You know, cats, dogs, the simpler ones. Part of it comes down to even just attracting the opposite gender. Let's take a cat that you have adopted or is now yours as a kitten. 
you have it, you feed it, you try to play with it. Maybe it's a little scared of you. Maybe it hides under the bathroom sink or something like that. It doesn't want to come out. Eventually, it will pop out, have some food, go away. It will use the litter box, run away. But, you know, over the course of a week or two weeks, you will eventually get that cat to like you. It'll eventually say, okay, this, you know, person's feeding me. He's cleaning up after me. He's not a bad person. And next thing you know, you're watching television. It'll jump on the couch and curl up next to you. Yeah. Now, again, that's a week, maybe two weeks. Think about if it was that easy with women. Think of that, you know, after, you know, two weeks of taking care of and respecting somebody that they would just come up onto the couch and curl up next to you. It's simple. It's easy. So that's, I guess we got a little bit off there. But, you know, the more popular ones, I'd say, have to be, you know, cats and dogs because we associate them with health pets. And it buys into the whole theory of it's a lot easier to earn the trust and earn the companionship of these particular animals. Foxes are also popular, but I cannot explain that one. Some of them have made their way into... (laughs) They are quite foxy. Some of them have made their way into, like, mainstream culture and people haven't even fully caught on to the connection to furries and, like, playboy bunnies. It's, it's it's taken the, the adorableness and the sort of the innocence and the energy of a bunny and associating that with a model. Yeah. Somebody that you would like to see not wearing anything. And you get this idea in your head that the, that the woman has all those positive qualities that the bunny has. And that creates the attraction. Bunnies have positive qualities? Yes, I just named them energetic and innocent looking. And cute. You, you, you can put them in this in this large wire ball and set them loose in the backyard. And they're ecstatic because they're running around eating all the grass, acting like a human lawnmower, and they love you for it. They chew the cables. And apparently they are a goal to aspire towards in terms of how much sex one wants to have in a day. Uh, like rabbits? Yeah. <laughs> how, how do you think a person picks out their persona or, or their fursona? I think it would just have to do with how much like a particular animal you act like territorial people, maybe cats. I've never tried to do that before. I've been told by a friend of mine who was a furry that they thought I'd make a good bear. I don't see it. Do you guys? Do you... Yeah, yeah, possibly. And I don't know. I'm a little too lanky in my opinion. How did how did you uh, come up with the 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 character that you do have though? The cat with the horns. Well, it's it's one of the races, and honestly, one of the things I liked about the Char the most in Guild Wars 2 was they have a very interesting backstory. They were actually bad guys in Guild Wars 1, and between the two games, they essentially had to reinvent themselves as a species several times so that they can actually stand on a world scale next to the other sentient races and you know say, hey, we deserve a piece of the pie. And they just had a really you know, rich history, and the technology looks like... Well, I guess it's kind of like Warhammer 40K where they slapped a bunch of metal plates together and somehow it works. We got no explanation for it, but somehow it works. And again, they, they didn't appeal to me on the sense that they were a humanoid animal. They appealed to me because they had an interesting culture. And still, if you are the party tank to play as this person who towers over everyone, has actual teeth and a mane and horns and all stuff, like, you feel like the party tank. You feel like, yeah, I can soak up all the damage. Yeah, yeah. So, especially, like, they do kind of take after lions. So, playing as a lion is pretty much a power fantasy right there. It really is a big part of the world, bestiality. You know, and everybody wants to look at it as, ooh, that's disgusting. Catherine the Great. He used to fuck a horse, right? I mean, it's something that... Through a system of pulleys and levers. Through a system of pulleys and levers and attaching herself to the underbelly, I think it was. Uh, you know, and then you hear about that there's a an urban myth 
that I think every city has about that woman who comes home from work and strips and puts peanut butter on her vagina and goes to find her dog just to find out that her family has let themselves in to throw her a surprise party. This is the first I've heard of this. I, I saw an Air Force gag legend. where a guy tried to do that, and it was basically selling awkward moment chocolates. But yeah, beyond the Air Force gag, I've never actually heard of that actually happening. Yeah, I heard. I heard that it was a woman in Regent Park. Because old uh, old <laughs> podcast that um, I used to do, Eli would remember Yaks, who was kind of my chaotic counterpart to my uh, semblance of order. And uh, we tried doing this segment where Reacts would think of the most like fucked up thing that he had seen that week and talk about it on the podcast. We stopped doing it because he, he told us about this this farmer who uh, had sexual relationships with his pigs. And uh, apparently, and I don't even think this is possible, but apparently the pig had been able to give birth using some of the farmer's genes so that the pig's offspring was just a little <laughs> bit human. Now, I... Don't again. I don't. I don't think this is even possible. But there are stories like that all the time of people who have seem to have no problem not only uh, fucking them, but seeing where that experimentation experimentation takes them. Yeah. Well, the the whole idea of of combining genes is nothing new. You know, it's I mean, historically we've had centaurs, minotaurs. Uh, Angels, mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff. So I mean, we have got we got werewolves, and a lot of cultures even believe in were panthers and other variants. Were bears, pe- were rats. People who are perfectly normal and then will transform into an animal and then somehow transform back. Yeah, and, and think about like all the ways that we are connected with animals, even in a non-sexual capacity. I mean, many of the 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 ailments and diseases we've been able to uh, contain have been the result of testing these on animals with similar biologies to our own. Well, that's we it. have to thank rats for a lot of lives saved, for sure. A lot of rats rats gave their lives for lives saved. Mm-hmm. Let's pour a little water out for our fallen rats who've died for us. Or, you know, you, nothing. You, you, you want to pour water out to the middle of a sound room with all this equipment around? <laughs> Definitely. I like living dangerously. All right. Well, that, that on possibly... My, on my could, budget, sure, yeah. That, that possibly could be the end of this podcast due to technical difficulties. <laughs> end of this podcast, period, not just this episode. So, I mean, is it really fair to, to compare uh, Yiffy with bestiality? Because it, it's, it's... I mean... It's humans, right? Just kind of turned in, into almost like stuffed animals. It, it it depends, I guess, what artist is doing it or what's like. I've never seen anyone attempt it with fur suits, although I'm sure that exists out there. But I am not going to look for it. <laughs> so most of what you're looking for with Yiffy would be drawings and stuff. And again, I, it really only becomes bestiality to the slippery slope complex. But yeah. Once you have Definitely. the slippery slope complex, you can apply it to any fetish. Like, give me a fetish, and I will slippery slope into something you just can't stand. Foot fetish. Okay, that one's pretty mild. <laughs> um, <laughs> foot. Uh, is that really a category? The, uh, this foot oh, fetish is an actual thing? It means where the foot ends up is one thing. I mean, you can put the foot into substances that you maybe you shouldn't put yeah, feet foot into. Yeah, you, you, you could have the, you know, foot's... You know, doing the foot fetish fucking and then going and stomping on some berries to make it to wine. 
People make homemade wine by stomping on them. Yeah. Well, I, I've, I've noticed that with uh, with, uh, with feet fetish, it's, it's pretty polarizing to begin with anyways. Either you don't get it or you're grossed out by it or you completely get it and you completely dig it. People who don't like it, like, oh, I, I hate feet. I hate my feet. I hate all someone's feet. I, I'm not grossed out by it. It's not my thing. Yeah, I, I agree. Just, I, I, but I don't get it, but in terms of the grand scale, like the, the example I was pulling out when we're doing a lot of pre-stuff was, especially when it comes to the fact that Yiffy is attacked on the internet and furries in general are attacked on the internet. Like, why are these guys attacked? Yet, Lolly Tentacle yeah. Goro gets some kind of free pass. Like, people just want to either pretend that doesn't exist or it just, those, the people who like that aren't speaking up and aren't trying to defend themselves. Yeah. Like, why is it a fetish like that? Perfectly fine. And Yiffy, which by all comparison is harmless, is the one that gets attacked. I think it's because it's hunting season and uh, they want to get some stuff to mount it. I was wondering when that joke was going to come out. (laughs) (laughs) At least I didn't disappoint. Nope. Not even remotely. So, now, I read an article that said that... uh, uh, Something like 70% of relationships within the furry community are also with other furries. 70% of the relationships. Uh, how did you get to dating someone who's a furry? Common interest in anime. I met her at Anime North. And we had a bit of a violent breakup that had nothing to do with the... I mean, there, there were... She had some questions like she did have a pair of ears she wanted to wear kind of when we were going out i didn't mind i mean at one point she did actually start making i think it was supposed to be fox noises that's like okay now that this that now we've entered uncomfortable to like you're making fox noises while we're supposed to be going at it like now i've been made uncomfortable like barking no just actually literally yipping I, that may be where yippy come, come <laughs> from from foxes but like from milder settings, it wasn't really bad. It's really when she said, like, oh, okay, well, you know, you're okay with the ears. Like, okay, they're the ears. I'm not going to make a huge issue about that. So maybe you're okay with, you know, XYZ. It's like, oh, a little too fast, a little fast, a little fast, a little too fast. Little too fast. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, well, as you said, 70%. So it's very easy. I could have just hit the 30% there. And I think, like most groups, it's a matter of preservation of the kind by internal breeding. Like, most nerds want to date other nerds. I remember 15 years ago when I was going through school, I ended up getting a crush on this girl, which essentially some of my other friends had a crush on. And, you know, at the time I looked back and thought that was just silly. What was I seeing in her? And the thing I was seeing in her was she was the first nerd girl I'd ever seen or heard of. Because back when we were doing pre, like when our generation was doing pre-high school and that kind of stuff, it was generally believed you want a girlfriend, you had to burn your anime, quit all your guilds, et cetera, et cetera. And since then, I think there's been a bit more of a opening up of the female side of it. And now I've met girls who are nerdier than me, who know more about, you know, this kind of stuff than me. And it's finally hit the point where I can have a girlfriend who isn't going to come home and see me watching uh, Razafon and start saying, what the hell is that baby shit? She's going to say, like, oh, yes, I remember that anime from this thing, or at least give it a shot. I tried to show Ghost in, my sh- Ghost in the Shell to my mom, and she couldn't even stand it because it was a cartoon. And anyone who's actually seen, like even Roger Ebert gave it five out of five, like as incredibly deep science fiction. It is one of the greatest science fiction movies of all time. It just happens to be anime. And my mom, who just thinks all anime is for kids, just couldn't pay attention because she just kept saying the anime for kids. So yeah. I think the fact that most furries are dating within their own furry community is it's 
simultaneously a preservation of the culture. Your partner isn't going to judge you. And, you know, maybe you're going to have kids who at least have an open option for it. And I think, I mean, with every other subculture, you know, you date the people that you're surrounded by, right? Comedians date comedians. Or try to. Or try to. The fact that you gestured to each other when you said that had me a little wondering, Joe, are you gay? No, although you're not the first person to suspect me of it. And I have fun with that suspicion because people are thinking it. Oh, it's great at parties. Yeah. (laughs) I'm like, yeah, sure. I'll I'll, I'll play it up. But no, I am a huge fan of vagina. Huge fan. Okay. (laughs) So. Especially with the peanut butter and all that stuff on it. That's exactly. So if I showed up like to a furry party wearing my Winnie the Pooh costume would yeah, that so be acceptable i'm actually gonna go i have some packs some vagina for lunch so i'm gonna <laughs> i'll stop yeah thank you um i'm not a hundred percent sure i i i'm not a hundred i i can't answer that i've never been to any of those parties i imagine less of them take place in fur fu- full fur suits then the world would believe like a bunch of them is, Hey, we just have the same interests. We show up wearing whatever the hell we want. Maybe yeah. one or two persons in a, you know, goes to the bathroom and change to a fursuit. But besides that, like I don't go to anime watching sessions dressed up as the characters from the anime. I go there dressed how I want. And some people do, you know, same thing with science fiction, et cetera. We had a, uh, a group of friends and I did a doctor who thing and nobody dressed up for it. So, like, here we are all appreciating something, but we don't necessarily have to be wearing the costumes for it. So, I, again... Have you ever I, gone to, like, a- Anime North in a costume or anything like that? I was Gordon Freeman in a lab coat. Nice. That was about it. it. It's technically canon. He was wearing that before he put on the environmental suit in the first game. Yeah. And it's a hell of a lot easier to build than the environmental suit. <laughs> um, back to what you were saying about meeting women, it seems to me that, that nerd culture, geek culture... Uh, has really boomed in, like, let's say, the, the last five years. It's society in general. Like, I got this feeling from reading history textbooks. Yes, I actually paid attention in history class. I know. It was an easy credit if you pay attention. But the thing I've noticed about society is it goes back and forth between the two major categories of, you know, the strong and the intellectual. And when, especially when we're at war and there's a huge wars going on, we all go towards the strong, the strong, the school bullies beat up the other people because they are stronger. They are the pride of their parents. They do the football touchdowns. They go to war. They make everybody proud. But then we're in peacetime. We don't really need the strong. We don't really need the, the soldiers, the warriors. So we go into a more intellectual stage where now it's the smart people who are being concentrated on. The teachers are defending the nerds and helping them prosper because they will build the next, whatever the next big thing is, the next Tumblr, the next yada yada. So I, we are in a sort of peacetime at the moment. I'm not going to say globally because, you know, I, I turn on the news and then I sort of turn off the news mm-hmm. like most people I think do. And there's a lot of stuff going on, but at least in terms of Canada, we are in a stage of mostly peace. We are in a stage, so it's a time of prosperity. Therefore, the intellectuals are the ones who are in charge. They're the ones with the buying power. We're not necessarily sending a ton of soldiers overseas and they're coming back heroes. We're sending a bunch of soldiers overseas to do routine stuff and they're coming back tired. Mm-hmm. And now, since the intellectuals are the ones who are building the buildings, the architecture, the cars, etc., they're the ones who are deciding what everybody likes. If you have a bunch of intellectual people who say we like science fiction and they have the buying power, they're going to go out and they're going to consume science fiction. It's and I think even um, if you're looking for uh, uh, for someone to date, even if that person doesn't end up being a nerd, 
they, they're probably going to be more open to the culture now because so many people are in part of that culture. A group right. can only get so big before you start to wonder, why do I have a problem with this? Yeah, and look at, you know, the summer blockbusters. What of them are based on comic books these days? Well, we had The Avengers was a really grossing one. Guardians of the Galaxy, I'm not quite sure if it broke all the records, but it's I'm pretty... doing really well. It's remained number one for a very long time. It lost it once or twice to other movies, but then jumped right back up People again. People are I, seeing that movie again and again. I saw it again and again. And well, it's, it's, I mean, it's because, really, uh, raccoons are tenacious. They really are. <laughs> that's, that's why it keeps going up in popularity. Well, again, nerds in general are inspiring what's popular now. We're the ones with the buying, buying power. We're the ones with the influence because... We won. The intellect's won. And the, the core of intellect is, generally speaking, anyone can be taught. Yeah. Not everyone is going to be incredibly strong. Like, I can exercise a ton and, you know, I could become a really buff person. Well, there's people out there who don't have to exercise as much, etc. So, strength is something you're born with. And, you know, not everyone's born smart. But generally teaching, generally speaking, you can teach everyone. You can teach everyone how to read. And then through reading, they can assimilate knowledge. And you can teach them how other things work. So the, again, the in- some really stupid people who would definitely be a challenge. Yeah, I'm not. Yeah, but in general, <laughs> since met. intellect can be placed on somebody or can be given to, or taught to somebody, the intellects are making the are calling the shots now because we're spreading. I mean, I think intellectuals were always the minority. No, I mean it. Uh, also depends too on what you do with that intellect. I mean, if you're one of. Uh, if you if you have an opinion that not a lot of people agree with, even if you know you're right, then you'll be shunned even from other intellectuals. Yeah. But in in a sense, you might be the true intellectual because you're the one that's offering the thought that no one else wants to think or wants to talk about. It's uh, yeah, it's uh, but people like uh, Nostradamus, you know, they would have been arrested for practicing science back in the day. Um. Well, it's it's the lack of understanding that what that causes a lot of the uh, not, it causes a lot of confusion, causes a lot of disorder, and it actually makes people angry. It's like when you can't figure something out, like even if you're just trying to do a puzzle, and for some reason you just can't seem to put the piece, put the pieces together, you aren't understanding it when you feel like you should understand it, and it's actually causing a negative reaction. Well, you take that and you amplify it with somebody explaining a concept to you that probably is right, and you. I have to admit that deep down, but you can't do it. It is so aggravating, and you end up murdering the person. (laughs) Well, are are we the church now? (laughs) Yes, we go out and we kill people. Joe say so. I'm not saying there's talking about history here. (laughs) And wrong, there's people I would murder today for sure. Totally. Oh yeah, definitely. I I can think of several people in recent history. Uh, I wouldn't necessarily say there's a connection between these two, but as I guess a bit of a segue. With the rise of intellectuals, with the rise of all that stuff, you know, and full equality between everybody, a blurring of both gender and societal roles, etc. There have been a lot of people who get really lost, who don't really know what they're doing in life, where they are, etc., etc. And one of the more popular ways to actually find a purpose again in life is to try to get in touch with, 
I guess, for lack of a better term, an inner animal, an inner, like, to get in touch with a primal side. Like, I, as, you know, as a hypothetical man, I have lost my dominion over the household. I have lost my, you know, role in life to bring home the bacon and yada, yada, yada. So, like, the idea of you go from being this person who's part of a mundane system, who's part of a, a society that has basically ground you down to just another thing like every other thing and figure out, well, inside, I am a predator, Underneath all this, you know, thousands of years of evolution hasn't changed the fact that you could dump me out in the wild and a few weeks later I will have figured out how to salvage for food, you know, make myself clothing of hides and all that stuff. So that actually is another thing that I think makes the furry culture appealing. The idea of in real life, you're just another number and then you invent this facsimile of yourself that is an animal going out like, you know, enough human so you're still you but just enough animal that you can – fictitiously run out in the wilds, howl at the moon, find a mate, fuck her wildly, and and then wake up in the morning, fuck her wildly, and go out for food. Now, I would also think there's there's a freedom in being an animal. You know, because you don't have the responsibilities of this or that. And it's just to me, I can almost draw a, a connection to from uh, furries to being a little Right, so little is, is some an adult who pretends to be uh, much younger, whether it's teen, preteen, uh, infant, even some of them. I'm just curious is is it a is it a deliberate thing? Like it's definitely, yeah, it's a del- deliberate thing. Okay. I mean, there's there are males and females who uh, act like three, and it's 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 kind of like the difference between being a, a furry and being a yiffy, you know. They just like the, the being free as they were when they were that age. And they wear diapers and the, the mommies or daddies change them and shit like that. And it doesn't get sexualized, uh, but all you the could. time, right? Like sometimes yeah. it's just about being a kid and having fun and, and nothing sexual. Whereas, you know, it, like I said, with, with Furries and Yiffies seems like it's kind of the same divide. No, no, that, that that's a good point. I I hadn't heard of that term before. I know there's lots of people who act older or younger than them, but I've never heard of people sort of just role playing being three years old in the crib again. I can see it, and I can see the appeal. I probably wouldn't do it myself, but again, I can see the appeal. It, it's a simplification of life, and yeah. <laughs> hell, what is simpler than? The meek are weak and the strong do eat. <laughs> well, it's it's uh, a lot of people in the SMBD community, uh, a lot of people who, who are, are decision makers at work and very, very important, they like being the sub because then there's no decision making. They respond. They respond to, to uh, requests or orders, but... Unlike at work, they're just done making decisions. They don't make any of the decisions. It has been scientifically proven that making too many decisions over the course of the day can kind of burn out your brain. Really? Well, okay, not literally burn out, but that there is – they were talking about with, I think, Obama. Like he was apparently paying attention to some kind of research that after you pass a certain number of decisions in a day, you really just start losing your ability to cognitively rationalize them. So it was – that's – Kind of, like during the golden time when things are going you know right for him, that's something he was paying a lot of attention to because 
you know, he would segment every day to make sure he hit the max number of decisions he could make and then afterwards stopped. And the next day made sure he hit the max number of decisions. So he didn't really have off days. It was just, you know, yeah. every day was just carefully balanced. There were photos of him um, before he was elected and then after he was elected. Oh, he got old fast. Yeah, great <laughs> oh, errors, yeah. a lot of stress. I mean, he, it's not all, it's not just the quantity of the decisions you make, but it's also the the uh, the repercussions that come from it. I mean, the decisions that one makes as a president, they do tie into a lot of decisions that we would make, like what am I going to wear, what am I going to eat, what am I going to do this, what am I going to do that, and am I going to shut down a hundred thousand schools or something? Not well, that's that it. It's I mean, that's uh, one of the reasons Jesse Ventura didn't go for re-election because it was hard on his family. You know, and it's uh, it's unfortunate these people have to take these positions that cause them that much uh, emotional, personal uh, strife. Do you think shows like, uh, let's say, like The Big Bang Theory or uh, uh, what was that one game show? It was the Smartest Canadian. Are you smarter than a fifth grader? No, 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 There no. is one that's out just now, which is it was, Canada's uh, Smartest Person. Yeah, Canada's Smartest Person. It was on Discovery Channel. I love that channel. Uh, and it was like all these people who had like super high IQs. And it was kind of like – it was an elimination kind of uh, uh, Big Brotherish competition. Yeah, I saw a part of that and I thought uh, – well, the part I saw was they all had challenges to build a trebuchet. I was thinking, like, okay, that – so today on, you know, the Canada's Smartest Person, everyone's going to have to build a trebuchet. It's like, okay, that's cool. <laughs> that is, that yeah, they, they did a bunch of really neat stuff. Like there was uh, uh, two people would, would – you know, one member from each team uh, was skydiving and there were all these letters on on square pieces of paper on the ground, like big ones. So as they're falling, they can see all the letters. They have to remember the letters and then make up as many words out of those letters as possible. Wow. <laughs> so for me, I'm like, okay, I don't do heights. That's, that's one of the things where I will lose my shit, like majorly. So jumping out of a fucking airplane, I like flying, but jumping out of an airplane – I would be concentrating on uh, uh, the question of how am I going to clean my shorts after this mm. before anyone notices as opposed to remembering a bunch of fucking letters. Well, I, I think the biggest thing is, especially when it comes to jumping from height, let's take water. Water, we can hold our breath and we tend to naturally float. You know, uh, quicksand, stop moving, the ground. What's the problem with the ground? Are you really having an issue with the ground? Even short heights were generally somewhat durable. If you're from an extreme height, rest assured in the comfortable knowledge that evolution has done jack shit to protect you from the sudden deceleration you will have when you hit the ground. That's it. We were just not evolved to do that. We're not that bouncy. We're not that bouncy. To, uh, that bouncy. to quote uh, Riddick, uh, it's not the fall that kills you. It's the sudden stop at the bottom. Yeah. Well, and I, you brought up Big Bang Theory, and I'm just going to say as a blanket opinion, that show makes fun of nerds. Like, it makes fun of nerds in the genre-loving crowds. Not a single person I know who considers himself to be a geek, nerd, etc., likes that show. I Everyone really? I know gets... Well, again, all the people I know who are geeky, nerdy, etc., are offended by it because they're representing us in a very skewed, very 
very stereotyped light well, that everyone on makes. A sitcom is stereotyped. I well, mean, look at Penny. She's stereotypical blonde. Hate her new hairdo, though. But I've been called Sheldon by people in the past, and it's an insult. You're, you're tying like, into that list of people that I want to murder uh, earlier in the episode. Well, okay, the, the actor isn't a bad guy. I blame the writers more. It, it's a matter of, again, they're, they're, it's a very heavy stereotype, but it's also a very identifiable crowd. I mean, if you take Friends, they're just yeah. making fun of New Yorkers in general. Like, New York is a pretty damn big city. If you yeah. take Sex in the City, then you know, you're making fun of people from Manhattan. Same thing with Seinfeld. Like, it's all generally speaking. With Big Bang Theory, it's sort of specifically targeting nerds. And if someone's walking down the street with a Pikachu t-shirt, they're very identifiable. I've got bag of holding on my bag. Anyone who knows what that is pretty much knows I'm an identifiable nerd. Yeah. And that Big Bang Theory is basically painting a very bad picture of people who exist everywhere. See, who, I, I, yeah, I, like, I, I disagree with that. And also, Sheldon, if you ever actually were roommates with Sheldon... He would drive you up the fucking wall in a week. Like, everyone keeps going like, oh, he's so cool. He's this interesting character. He's like, if you were to actually room with him, you'd want to kill him. Well, I think, I think, as Leonard said in one episode, the important thing to remember is he doesn't think he's doing anything wrong. That doesn't mean he's not doing something wrong. Ignorance of the law is not an excuse no, of it. It's, yeah, it doesn't work for Bizarro. But that's, that's why Sheldon acts that way. He doesn't, he's not aware, and that's why people have to keep on teaching him. And if you watch the series, you see the character development. You see how he comes out of his shell and and becomes more of a of a contributing member to the group as opposed to making sure that the group always does what he wants. Yeah. And as as a guy who's read comic books and play with toys, uh, you know, I'm 40 now and I still play with my fucking figures and read comic books. That's pretty fucking geeky. And to me, I, it speaks to me. It speaks to me about they understand how I feel about my toys. They understand how I, I feel about my comic books. And where else are you going to hear jokes, you know, for physicists? And they're smart jokes. They do some really smart jokes. And uh, I think a lot of people, uh, yeah, I mean, sure, pokes fun at nerds. Pokes fun at a lot of people. Pokes fun at jocks. I mean, they're just about making fun of everybody. Be it the blonde or the big jock who is really stupid. Well, generally speaking, I don't like television or movies where just everybody's an idiot. So yeah. perhaps I am the incorrect authority to comment on this. <laughs> no, I, you, you raised a, an interesting point earlier with, with referencing Seinfeld because I don't think Seinfeld was particularly like uh, a jab at New Yorkers. It was a jab at a certain state of mind. It was the making a big deal out of what is nothing. Yeah. And each episode was the the premise of this is really nothing, nothing matters. And you get to the end of the episode and there's no classic resolution. It's just you move on to the next nothing. I think the Whereas summary with- for that show was in a – like literally if you put the push the info button and it said in a show about nothing, five, four New York friends go about their mundane lives. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's, it's Friends was very much about relationships. Be it friendships or, or romantic relationships. Last season should have been called Newlyweds. Um, one, uh, one show that Big Bang Theory gets uh, uh, compared to a lot, uh, and usually the other show I'm going to mention comes out to the victor, is Community. And Community is a nerdy show 
because if you are a huge fan of television and you understand television tropes and you recognize patterns, Community is not only a show that uh, draws attention to that, but it does so in a way that never uh, eliminates context because one of the characters, he spends all his life watching television. So he can actually identify television tropes as they're happening as opposed to being uh, uh, resistant to it. He actually understands that he has a place in the context and he will act out a certain role. Uh, in order to achieve that. And and the difference is, is that uh, Community is a show that's considered to be very nerdy, uh, just in the way it's set up. And, and it still touches on a lot of those same growths, because you don't just have a nerd who's coming out of a show, you have people from all different uh, walks of life coming together and all sort of coming out of their shells, mm-hmm. thanks to one another's support. But um, would you say, I, I, I hadn't... Um, I hadn't watched enough Big Bang Theory to uh, to assess that and to see that growth. And yeah. I think that has come from watching that show uh, consistently and seeing that there are story arcs. But the general point is that for people who maybe just watch Big Bang Theory in passing and they just laugh at the fact that the punchline is the nerd not understanding something, uh, that doesn't have the positive impact on the nerd community that we want it to have. See, it's, it's to me, it's not a negative thing either because it's it's just showing these people as they are, you know. And and it, we play off stereotypes. And look at all the Jewish jokes. Yeah, you know, Seinfeld, Wallowitz, all of them. They, it's it's all based on a stereotype, you know. And I think if if you can't watch that show and laugh at yourself, I think. Maybe you're holding on to some of the the anger and resentment from being pushed around in high school, right? I I'm just guessing, I'm just postulating. No, it's a, it's a Whereas guess. me, when someone tried to bully me, I stood up to them, you know. And it, it was it, it's very much a show about growing and changing and becoming uh, an adult, really, in this world where you still want to play with all these really cool things, right? And uh, the the character development is really, for me, what holds it together. Like everybody, not everybody, but a lot of people, they preferred uh, Futurama to Big Bang. Whereas Futurama, for me, it, it gave me nothing because there's no character development. Mm-hmm. Well, Futurama just, oh, does, it can exaggerate itself to its own state of being because it's a cartoon. You can basically whip out whatever the heck you want by simply waving your artist fingers. So it, it becomes a level of absurdity that's hard to, I, hard to really take seriously. I mean, one of the things I, like I've seen some community and I think the best episodes, in my opinion, are the ones that kind of throw everything to the wind and, you know, say, what the hell do we want? Like I started watching community from the beginning and I thought, this is a tasteless show because it was it was trying to set it up as if this was a real community college somewhere in real life and these things were really happening and this was just a TV show about them. But then you see episodes where the one character has his darkest timeline version come out and try to corrupt things. You've got everyone building a blanket fort and possibly the most convoluted conspiracy mm-hmm. theory of all. Like when they actually turn around and just say we're going to have fun and just throw sensibility out the window. Like that's really when the show shines, not when it tries to say, by the way, happening at a community college near you. Yeah. Yeah. It's, but it's, and I, I think I've only ever watched one episode of community. It was the one where they were running the kitchen. Oh yeah. That's pretty good. But uh, is there much character development in that? 
There, there is, mm-hmm. but it, it depends on uh, the characters. And by the way, I think we're all aware of the deviation at this point. But um, the character Abed, he actually is the one that's struggling with growth because he, it's it's well, Jeff insults him in the first episode, and it's hinted throughout that he has uh, some more serious uh, mental health issues. Like uh, the, he calls Abed uh, someone who has Aspergers. No one ever really fully confirms the the issue. So for him, um, he not only can't grow as a person or as a character, but he often actively uh, fights against it. And he tries to uh, remain the same person. And then you have other characters who are older who are in their uh, 40s, and uh, one character is in his 60s. And there's really only so much growing for them to do anyways. Yeah. But then you have the the core cast of characters. You have uh, Annie, you have Jeff, and you have Britta, who are all at community college because they have to better themselves. And it's really – it's it's a story about Jeff uh, Winger, the most out of everyone, and his growth and the impact that he's realizing he has on these people. They need him, and he didn't want them to need him, but he kind of gives in, and he and he and he's the one that grows over the course of the series. Mm. That's what the most important thing is with any show is that your lead character is your story. And then yeah. everything else has to tie into that and be the result of that. Well, if we, sorry, we want to merge our new topic and the old topic together. CSI, I remember, did a weird fetish week. And one of the episodes was there was a furry party with everyone in the full fursuits. And, and we're back. There was, what? And we're back. <laughs> and someone gets murdered in a full fursuit. It, it wasn't murdered. They weren't? No, it was... Uh, I, it was accidental. The guy thought it was a, a coyote or something. <laughs> well, it, it's a matter like CSI in general seems to just love making fun of other sexual fetish. Like, oh, we arrived at this bondage party and everyone's wearing these weird outfits and I'm slightly repulsed by them. But now I'm going to ask my female coworker if she wants to partake in it. Sunglasses. Yahoo! Or whatever that theme song is. <laughs> no, that's Miami. Me- never mind. My mistake. It's, uh, yeah. No, well, even the Grisham. Uh, had an, had a, an affair with uh, a mistress, like a dominatrix, before he left the show. Are we so. still talking about CSI? Yeah. Okay. The the original one. Uh, so coming back to um to to discussing furries, um, what I'm curious about is, and this is definitely just like an opinion based question, but is it possible that everyone could have at least one animal that they might be able to associate with, and could these uh, fetishes uh, break free of just being a niche and become a little bit more accepted. And I might not mean that with every fetish, but but the argument that we've been making is that we are animalistic in nature. So is there a possibility that this can continue to grow and people become more and more sort of accepting of it? Well, I think yes and no. I mean, you have to remember back during the 90s, I mean, how many cartoons were there, you know, featuring furries? You had... I want to say Buck Rogers, but it doesn't sound right. You had, uh, all right, here, let's do this. We got Samurai, Pizza Cats. Yeah, uh, Thundercats. Thundercats. That was, I think that was the 80s. Biker Mice from Mars. Okay, well, just go with that general time. But they, yeah. they used to be all over the place. Yeah. And that was partially because they were just easy toys to create. Yeah. Because, like, you didn't have to put together human features. You could just put together the mice faces or all that stuff. I think one of the biggest hurdles is the idea of a fursona is essentially something you're not. If you're engaging in foot fetish or bondage or 
I probably should have researched random fetishes before coming here, but if you're engaging one of those, you are technically still that person, but you're now engaging in it. And I suppose if you want to engage in some real-life version of Yiffy or some real whatever, you're essentially imagining your different creature. You're imagining you are this muscular fox furry covered in fur, and, you know, you're banging, you're having sex with your dog furry partner and there's a tail there that you can't technically grab and that's like spiritually yes i do believe everyone has to accept the fact that we do have a bit of an animalistic nature whether or not you want to embrace it and act like an animal is one thing whether or not you want to simply act like yourself but then go to the animal for counsel once in a while which is i I guess kind of what i feel i do like i do know i've got like like everybody here, I have, you know, some primal things going on. I often ask that part of me when being introspective for its counsel on things, though I never let it out. Mm-hmm. So spiritually speaking, I think there is something to be gained from accepting we are still technically animals inside. Uh, in terms of an actual sexual fetish, I don't think that's ever going to be a widespread connection because – you know, the first step in if you want to you know, engage in real life Yiffy is you're either using fursuits, and I cannot really see that being fun, or you are imagining. Sweaty. Yeah, that'd be. Or you are imagining yourself and or your partner essentially as a completely different thing. I mean, do you really want to be having sex with somebody who's imagining you as a bear furry? Because they're not looking at you; they're looking at the bear furry image in their head, and that that's that's as a little long weird. As I come. I don't give a fuck what they think of me. <laughs> that's that's honest. Uh, and it's it's funny because I've actually seen uh, uh, there's a tattoo artist who uh, dresses up like a cat, but he had like all the the stripes like tattooed. I saw that on the Guinness Book of World Records show. He was like leopard head to toe, right? Uh, yeah. no, this, uh, this guy who worked on. Uh, Young and Wellesley a few years ago. Okay. All right. I'm thinking of a different guy. And sure. uh, he looked almost like Dave Navarro. So like Dave Navarro with cat stripes and, and uh, I've actually – on the internet, I've seen pictures of them like with whiskers mm-hmm. actually implanted in. And it's, it's – so the question then becomes how far is too far? Well, you actually did bring up an interesting point. There is something that's kind of spiral uh, – came from Japanese anime and it's – I don't want to call it the Mimi because that sounds wrong, but the idea is Nico Mimi literally translated means cat ear. And it's the idea of you take a human being or human female usually, you replace their ears with cat ears, you give them a tail and animalistic, you know, instincts, natures or whatever, and that's it. It's not technically a furry, though it gets grouped in with furries a lot because all they have are the ears and the tail and the attitude. Mm. So there is a whole thing of that. A lot of anime does that. You'll see people who go to anime conventions, they'll just wear an ears and tail, and that's absolutely it, and that's usually considered acceptable. But that, I think, that is usually kept pretty separate from furries in terms of a culture. Like, I wouldn't really see Niku, Inu, or Kino Mimis are the kind of a culture unto themselves. They're just a particular yeah. thing. And they can be sexually fit. Like I, like I said, the ex who put on the fox ears. Like, it's, it's pretty simple, and that's is definitely way more on the human scale than anything else on the fur. Like that's well, that would be on the on the far end of the spectrum where it's the easiest to get in and get out in in that culture. But yeah. what, what Eli is asking is, at what point do you cross a line between uh, a hobby and a, a perversion to maybe you've gone too far? Like trying to be a cat every day in your life 
you go out and you have the whiskers because they're surgically <laughs> implanted and you can't take them out. Well, I like, think – Is that too far or is that something that we should at some point get used to, like people wearing their pants down underneath their asses? Okay, well, pants underneath your asses is pretty damn easy because that's a tripping hazard and you may or may not be flashing your underwear at people and that's just going to tear to his indecent exposure. Your example, the person acting like a cat and the implanted whiskers, I think that's, you know, quite as extreme as you can go. And yes, people are probably going to be very uncomfortable with that for, with, for years to come. And even I'm sort of thinking, like, I get it, you have an inner animal, you've got an animalistic side, you're still a human. There is a certain point where you have to accept we are a particular species. We're not this species. Like, embracing an inner animal is one thing. To actually try to 24-7 it is basically, no, you are not actually a cat. Mm-hmm. I hate to break it to you. Dialing back, it's really hard to say. Part of it is, I guess, how much other people will accept and also how much you're doing to yourself. Like, in the case of implanting whiskers, for all intents and purposes, you're injuring your body to do that. So that, at least for me, I would look at somebody and say, like, why are you d- – deforming or mutilating your own body to this so that but then the same thing could be said for tattoos and piercings well those tend to be ta- piercings can be recovered from by simply taking them out and tattoos are sort of skin art you're not necessarily having a whisker poking out of you like uh, a tattoo is um, sort of an extension of something that you as a person identify with it's the icon that you want to show other people. So it's not a tr- like a transformation into another creature. It's a, a transformation of the self in that here's what I'm willing to dedicate part of my skin to, uh, to, to showing to people. And also there is such a thing as laser tattoo removal. So you can go back on it if you want to. It's just very painful. I never had a laser tattoo. No, 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 no the, the laser, laser removes removal. it. <laughs> yeah. Can't believe you actually explained that. It's. <laughs> it, I, I guess it, it. I explain everything. Society, I don't really think is the issue. The thing, the biggest thing, at least for me, when it comes to what is the most extreme on that scale, would be at the end of the day, you're human. So, like for me, embracing the animal inside you, I can get people doing that. That's fine. But you're still a human being. You're still all around human beings, and what you do in the privacy of your own home by yourself or with your partner is one thing. But if you really were to have people regularly parading around the street in fursona suits demanding people refer to you by you know strange names and communicating people through yips and barks and meows and that kind of stuff like that gets to the point where you are a human underneath that suit you know underneath that animal suit is a man suit and the rest of us are also wearing human suits so the safest bet would be to take all of them corral all of them and build a little tiny village for them off the uh, off the radar. No, I, 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 I'm not saying I'm not. Them, I'm, I'm amongst each other. I'm not saying we build internment camps or for. It's God. not an internment camp. It's a village. There's shops and jobs and things to do. Kennels. Sure. Yeah. Cages. They're into that. Kennels for people who are interested in both furry in both Yiffy and BDSM. They they have kennels that you could fit most people into. For big dogs. Yeah, oh, okay. I thought you were going to say low-income housing or something. but <laughs> <laughs> No, that's – but it's also a really good way to, to babysit. Ah, yeah. Throw them in the kennel. Take them out for a walk every once in a while. Anyway, Matt, thank you for joining us. And uh, thank you for joining us, all you listeners out there. Come and if I, can, uh, if I can just do a little plug, uh, Matt and I also do a YouTube show together called uh, We're Not Pros, which is a 
talk show about uh, video game concepts and gaming industry, and it's uh, informative and a lot of fun, and it's something great to listen to if you're playing an MMO or doing an hour-long job on something that you don't need to concentrate too much on. It's a background show. Full yeah. disclosure, we it's all A footage. We didn't we don't really put video games or graphics on top of it. So you can stand there and watch us, you know, shake menacing fists at each other, but nothing ever really happens on that department. So glorified podcasting. Yeah. Excellent. And not and not edited in the slightest. <laughs> oh god, not even close. Uh no? No. <laughs> Alright. Uh, unless you count the chalkboard. Let's go.